You're listening to Latin America in Focus. Latinoamérica en Foco. América Latina en Foco. A podcast by America Society, Council of the Americas on politics, economics, and culture in the region. Hi, this is Karen Zissis of ASCOA Online. And bear with me as this time I've got a bit of a story to tell. It was like something from a horror movie. On May 31st at two in the morning, the printers in hospitals across Costa Rica powered up and as if they were possessed, they began to spew out reams of documents. All covered in random characters. Some of the documents weren't random, though. Instead, they spelled out a ransom note. And that note said that the Costa Rican Social Security Fund's data was all now encrypted. And unless the government paid millions of dollars, the data would be leaked online. That hack sent the country's healthcare system into disarray. Appointments were canceled, physicians couldn't access databases, and pharmacies were shuttered. But the cyber attack that happened that early morning wasn't even the first one Costa Rica experienced this year. The Central American country had been under digital siege since April 17th. On that day, the Ministry of Finance saw its servers compromised by a group called Conti, a pro-Russia cyber gang. By the next day, the ministry announced it couldn't process taxes or perform customs functions. And Conti made its intentions known on an online forum. We ask only 10 million U.S. dollars for keeping your taxpayers' data. Essentially, pay up or the private data of the Ministry of Finance goes online. But the government refused to pay the ransom and instead it decided to shut down the ministry servers. In the meantime, more messages from the Conti group started to appear across government sites. One declared that Conti was about to perform the beta version of a global cyber attack on an entire country. Over the next few days, tranches of Costa Rican government data began to be publicized and more ministries, 27 in total, experienced a cyber attack. The country saw large-scale disruptions. Public employees weren't getting paid and international trade was paralyzed. To top it off, this was all happening in the middle of a presidential transition. The then-president, Carlos Alvarado, days away from leaving office, refused to pay. Reitero que el Estado costarricense no pagará nada a estos criminales cibernéticos. That first score of attacks ended on April 22nd, and according to the government, over those five days, there were 35,000 malware communication requests, nearly 10,000 phishing incidents, 60,000 attempts to take remote control of IT systems, and another 60,000 attempts to mine cryptocurrencies using the computer infrastructure of state institutions. After the first onslaught, attacks continued to trickle in, though with the help of foreign countries and companies, Costa Rica was able to rebuff them. 
By the time newly elected President Rodrigo Chavez took office on May 8th, he declared the cyber attack a national emergency, saying that the country was at war and accusing people from within the Costa Rican government of working for Conti. The attacks have since subsided, but they already dealt the country a hard blow. It's estimated that Costa Rica lost $30 million a day. What does all this mean for Latin America? Well, it's definitely a warning, and it's worth noting that Costa Rica is known to be one of the most advanced countries in Latin America when it comes to cybersecurity, and it likely won't be the last one to face such a threat. So what can countries, companies, and citizens alike do to shield themselves from the dangers of the cyber realm? My colleague, Chase Harrison, spoke with Belisario Contreras, Senior Director of Global Security and Technology Strategy at Venable and former head of the Organization of American States Cybersecurity Program. He spoke of Costa Rica's hacker nightmare and the call to action everyone needs to hear to make cyberspace safe. Welcome, Belisario, to the Latin America in Focus podcast. Hi, Chase. Thank you very much and to all the audience that is here with us today. Costa Rica is still reeling from this two-part ransomware cyber attack that struck the country earlier this year and really destabilized the whole state. It made it challenging for the government to run its health and education systems to pay its employees. And I think when people hear this story, not only are they horrified by the attack, but a lot of them wonder... Why Costa Rica? What did this small Central American nation do to catch the ire of this global criminal cyber gang? Yeah, that's a good question, Jason. Thank you very much. Look, it could have been Costa Rica, it could have been any other country in Latin America or the world. Right now, we have seen that these criminal organizations are looking at institutions that can be vulnerable to, to these kind of attacks and incidents. Um, it, this time was for Costa Rica, but could have been to other major countries. It doesn't matter the size of the country. It doesn't matter the amount of population. Uh, what it matters is like how critical is the data, the information that you have in, in those systems. So it's, it's very critical for all the institutions, uh, either government or private, to, to make sure that, th- that there are uh, proper measures in place to protect all, all that data and that information. Costa Rica isn't the first nation to face a cyber attack, but I did read that it's the first nation to ever declare a national emergency over a cyber crime. How would you rate Costa Rica's response to this cyber attack? Was the country properly prepared? Well, um, Costa Rica had the, I would say, the institutional framework to respond. Like, it has a national terror, it has a a strong judicial system, it has the legislation, legislation in place. So up to a certain extent, yes, it was prepared. But of course, it was clear that it needed more capacities to better respond to those incidents. Uh, and this is not only Costa Rica. This is applies to many countries in Latin America and the Caribbean. Um, there is more need for governments and institutions in the private sector to invest both technical and financial resources on cybersecurity. We need to have a better trained personnel. We need 
to uh, change the mentality. We need to have a change of mind that cybersecurity is no longer an expense, but it's an investment on protect our assets. Yeah, because Costa Rica is not the only Latin American country to face a cyber attack this year alone. I know Peru had a cyber crime incident. Was that instructive in any way for Costa Rica's experience? Not at all. And it's not only about Peru. Every single country in the region, from the United States to Argentina to Chile, they have faced cyber incidents. The motives could have been criminal, political. There are different motives behind this. And when we talk about attacks, yeah, probably to certain government institutions, but there are also major attacks that have gone through major critical infrastructures that are owned by the private sector. But those are important as well, like the financial sector, for example. Many citizens or like the nation rely on, on the financial sector, on, bank, on, on banks, uh, where our funds are, are deposited. So that's a major issue. Energy, uh, the energy sector or the communications, transportation, today, nowadays, everything, like we rely on, on the digital infrastructure. That's why it's important to raise the level of awareness on on why we should invest and why we should protect all our digital assets. You just noted some of the targets of cyber attacks. Who are the perpetrators of these cyber attacks? Yeah, usually these are criminal organizations. Um, Mm -hmm. There are like, uh, in the case of, for example, Conti and others, like you have even a human resources department that are specialized on on recruiting hackers. These gangs have a hierarchical structure and and they are fully organized. The major inconvenience here is like while these criminal organizations can be or have been in any particular institution for up to one or two years, extracting data, like knowing everything from the inside and use perpetrate attack in um, fully executed a ransomware in 10 to 30 seconds, the amount of time that we have, like the good guys, the amount of time that we have for response is, is minimal. So again, that's why we encourage all the audience here today to, you know, call your CISOs, call your CIOs and say, what is our preparedness plan? What do we need to do? Uh, are, we, are we cyber ready? What kind of measures uh, do we have in place? And also for those actors in the private sector, reach out to the government and say, do we have the proper legislation? Do we have the proper regulations in place? What is the government doing in terms of investing in cyber professionals? What is the government and the judicial sector doing to, to have a, like a, a better judiciary sector, like a law enforcement? All these kind of questions are important. And those are questions that actually have a direct impact on the social and economic development of the countries. Because look, if I am a a private entity, I would like to make sure that my assets, my funds are in a country, in a nation that can protect it. Today, all those assets, all those funds rely on the digital economy. And if I want to invest a couple of millions or billions of dollars, I want to do it in a country that will take care of my resources. Those include 
my my digital resources, my data, and the data of my customers, you know, which at the end are the citizens of, of that respective country. A lot of the private companies that are operating in the digital cyberspace are these big multinationals or they're multi-Latinas. Are they driving the conversation around cybersecurity preparedness? Are there practices being shared across the region? Multinationals, like global companies, have a lot of experience on this in terms of regulation, public policy development, like best practices. But here, it's important to understand that small and medium enterprises in Latin America, they cover around 65 to 70% of the economy in the region. And this is an issue that is not only of the interest for large multinationals. It's actually an, uh, an issue of importance for small and medium enterprises. We have, uh, I have personally witnessed countless of examples where a small and medium enterprise go to bankruptcy because the intellectual property is stolen, because their databases are stolen. So yeah, this is an issue that is not only of interest for large multinationals, but for small and medium enterprises and for people of the common for a final user like you and me. It's this massive looming issue, but according to a 2020 Inter-American Development Bank study, only seven of the 32 countries in the Americas region had a critical infrastructure protection plan around cybersecurity. So that was in 2020. Then the pandemic hit, and we saw this large trend of more people across the Americas getting online using tools like online banking. Have countries changed in the past two years to increase their capacity or to author these kinds of critical infrastructure plans? Look, the pandemic, COVID-19, has had an impact on the way that we interact with technology. Uh, government, businesses, and even uh, ourselves, uh, how we educate our, our children, our kids, uh, we rely on technology for this. Like the countries, we don't have preparedness plans. Uh, and not only on the critical infrastructure, but actually what worries us the most is like there are no basic educational or awareness plans. So we are giving our child's technology, tablets, laptops, phones, and we're not giving them the basic notions on how to interact with technology. And you see huge amounts of crimes, huge amount of extortions, of abuse that happens through technology, through social networks. And this is a shared responsibility. This is not only the government. This is actually a responsibility by, by people like you and myself, like uh, we are parents, I am a parent. And, and this is something that, you know, sometimes we put the finger on the government and look, this is not something the government. This is something that, that ourselves as a society, as a whole, we need to, to work together and say, okay, this is my part, this is the part like the government needs to do, and this is the part that the private sector actually needs to do. We need to have a stronger voice on, on these issues as well and make sure that uh, we highlight of why the importance of this. Costa Rica is a country that had some cybersecurity preparedness. I know they have a cybersecurity plan. They had some personnel how much did that help Costa Rica avoid an even worse scenario with cybersecurity? I, I think it helped a lot. And I, I think actually it's important to recognize uh, the work that the, that the, 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 visit, sorry, the, the, ministry, the Ministry of ICT of Costa Rica and the Cecil Costa Rica behind institutions there are people. And, and it's important to acknowledge the work of those people. I, I know them personally for years. And, 
they have worked tremendously. Of course, there needs to be more resources allocated even to those ministries. But this is something that, again, it needs to come from the highest levels, from the president, from the Congress. And, and this needs to be a statewide approach. And we need to understand that the digital issues are a serious issues and that an investment that you do on the energy sector, on the health sector, no matter what, it's going to have a digital component and you need to protect it because otherwise your investments will be at risk, period. Right. I know Costa Rica, like a lot of other countries, invested heavily in its health system during COVID-19 and then the cyber attack took down that very system. It was great to hear that there were excellent personnel on the ground in Costa Rica, but I know one obstacle towards cybersecurity preparedness in Latin America is having sufficient and highly educated personnel across the region. What would it take or what sort of programs would we need to see to see a growing workforce of cybersecurity professionals in Latin America? Look, and uh, I'm hearing there is a call to action again. We need professionals in LATAM, in the U.S. and the world, period. But we need a call to action. And we don't need professionals with fancy titles. There are many certifications, actually, by private sector companies. You can start with that. And that will add a lot of value. And several governments actually have their own technical um, uh, certifications or, or the institutions that offer their technical courses. Just that, it had huge value. And of course, um, we invite uh, the academic institutions and the civil society to promote uh, a more formal uh, education. But let's start with something. Uh, even at massive open uh, online courses, uh, there are a lot of opportunities over there. Those professionals are needed in LATAM and the world. Belisario, to close, could you help us understand the stakes of how big this problem is? What does a worst case scenario look like for cybersecurity? What happens if we don't do these steps towards preparedness? It's, it's quite serious. The thing is that we rely on the internet and on digital devices from this uh, interview to our lives. Like probably people are, are listening to this interview thanks to, to uh through a digital device, but actually the water that we are receiving, the energy that we are receiving, goes through a digital device. It's controlled through a digital device. Our funds that when we pay our groceries or you know utility bills are through digital devices. Our education, we connect, we learn through digital devices. So it's quite serious. And every day, Technology is evolving and the threats are evolving. And the organized crime is actually evolving and investing huge amount of both technical and financial resources on how to use that technology for bad things. So we need to take appropriate measures, the good guys, to tackle the situation. And we need to work together on, on a common approach. So, again, there is a call to action to, to start working towards a common approach. It's simple. Belisario, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing your insights. No, thanks to you for, for the invitation. Thank you for listening. I'm your host, 
Karin Zesses. This podcast was produced by our executive producer, Luisa Leme, and by Jennifer Vilcarino. The music featured in this podcast is Electronic Cumbia, recorded by Meni Okendo. Check the podcast notes for a link to the track, which was recorded for America Society's Music of the Americas program. Learn more at musicoftheamericas.org. We hope you enjoyed this episode. You can help us spread the word. Give us five stars, write a review, share and subscribe at Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you. Thank you.